It is Wednesday. You know what that means. It's time for Offside Hockey Talk. And we had to have this man back. There's so much crazy stuff going on. And I've been listening to Locked On Leafs all week long, listening to these guys talk about everything that's coming up. Leafs Nation, by the way, take your hand off the little red button. It's not time to panic or freak out. It's not August. Just chill for a moment, and we'll get into some of those topics here. But, of course, it's David Morrisuti from Locked On Leafs joining me and my co-host, Pete Heat yet again. Guys, it's going to be a fun episode. But, David, how's the night treating you, man? Nice treating me well. Nice treating me well. We're getting hot weather. Hot weather in Toronto. So, it's summer. Summer's officially here. And, of course, the hotness doesn't apply just to the weather. Also, <laughs> Apparently, also to the hockey debates around this city. Yeah, there's a lot of hockey debates going on. Pete, how is everything treating you, my friend? Everything's good, except for this morning. There's a big explosion on the 401, uh, which... It's really screwed me up for work today and on the way home. But uh, other than that, um, life is good. We've got a lot of talk, lot to talk about. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a good show. It's going to be a great show tonight. And we're going to kick it off with the Hockey Hall of Fame selection. And I see over David's shoulder right there, there is the number 31, Curtis Joseph jersey. Again, an omission here for the Hockey Hall of Fame. And uh, I want to get to this one right away. Um, what does he have to do? I mean, really, I guess you got to ask the question, whose cornflakes did he take a whiz in? Because obviously he ticks somebody off because there's guys getting in to have less win percentage, less overall wins, worse statistics, but he's not there. And I mean, it's not like he hasn't done things or got great accolades mm-hmm. to say that he should go into the Hockey Hall of Fame. So David, I'll ask you, What's the deal here? Why is Cujo not in the hall? You know, I, I just wonder how much the committee is looking at accolades over actual performance on the ice. Yep. Right. You know, I, I was listening a little bit to like just after the announcement was made, um, you know, Craig Button and Gino Retta were kind of debating things. And the, the idea of the two cups came up for Mike Vernon. And I'm like, I get that. I get he won Stanley Cups. I get that he was yep. really good for that Detroit playoff run. But if you're sitting here and you're telling me in a playoff series, you had your pick of a goaltender between Curtis Joseph and Mike Vernon, you would pick Mike Vernon over Curtis Joseph? Not a chance. Like, are we like, is this where what it's come to? Like, Curtis Joseph is being brought down to the peg where Mike Vernon is ahead of him? Like, Tom Barrasso, I. I get maybe a little bit more because you know he's been a he was a good goaltender, but I'm sorry, Curtis Joseph had played at a higher level than those guys. Um, you know, obviously the Olympic gold medalist. I know he got pushed over for Martin Brodeur during the tournament, but at the time he was par for par with Martin Brodeur as one of the better goaltenders in the NHL. Pat yeah. didn't decide to go to the Olympics that year as well, but it's like. I don't know what other argument you can make for Curtis Joseph. If, if the Stanley Cup argument is the one that's missing, man, there's a lot of players then you're going to be excluding from the Hall of Fame because they don't have a Stanley Cup. And that, like, for me, that's, I, I find that's like just astonishing that that's where it's come to, where like the first thing is he won two cups. Okay. Detroit Red Wings were like a rocket of a team, like a powerhouse team in yep. those years that, like, Honestly, if you put Curtis Joseph in that in those in, in on that team, likely probably would have gone far. And now I understand Curtis Joseph did go to Detroit after they had won a cup, 
that's part of what made my childhood very sad. Yes. I just remember being crushed. That was like the first time like a hockey player that I like grew up loving and, and like watching as a fan left. And like, I didn't know what to do. Like, I'm a kid. What am I supposed to, how else am I supposed to react? My dad had to like explain to me like, I know you didn't get into the contract. And then I like growing up and you started hearing about the stories with Pat Quinn and all these things. But like Curtis Joseph, like you go back and you watch his highlight reels from his time with St. Louis with Edmonton and then Toronto, like he was among the top five goaltenders in the NHL in that time. And all those other guys are in the hockey hall of fame. There's no debate about them. Apparently Curtis Joseph, you have to have a conversation about every year as to why he should not be in the hockey hall of fame. Dave, do you have a favorite memory of Curtis Joseph? Uh, favorite memory. Ooh, I remember he, there was a time where he got hurt and he was out for like the longest time. And I think Trevor kid, like took over for him and he had like the nicest goalie pads. But Curtis <laughs> Joseph finally came back and it was a significant injury. I think it was like a groin or knee injury or something like that. And he comes back and he did like a, a split, like the splits. And we were like all concerned whether he would be able to hold on and just like didn't phase him. He was back at it. Good again. So that's one. The other one, obviously a little bit newer, but when he came in against the Washington Capitals, uh, because uh, Martin Gerber decides to push a ref and get himself kicked out of a game. And Curtis Joseph comes in and st- stops all the shots he faces and has to go into a shootout cold. I remember that. That was amazing. Like, there were times in that overtime, in the overtime where the Capitals were on a power play and he was stopping Alexander Ovechkin one time. It was like it was nothing. And the crowd was loving it. If I if, if I was in the building, that would have been like a tear jerk moment for me because I'm a huge Cujo guy. Mm-hmm. But like he was there, he was in he was he went until like in his 40s to play. Yeah. Like he was in the hockey, he was in the NHL for so long. And so like that's something I remember when he came back to Toronto. It was just such a great moment. It's unfortunate the Leafs sucked at that time when he came back because mm-hmm. like. But it was nice that he thought about coming back to Toronto because nobody probably ever thought he would ever come back to Toronto after the way things had kind of ended in his like first tenure with the team. Now, I'll say this one. My favorite memory, playoffs against the Ottawa Senators. You'll probably both remember this. Mm-hmm. He gets bumped. The goal goes in. He freaks out. He goes to skate to talk. The referee, the goalie, yeah. Blows a tire, takes the ref out, and... The ref is like, what are you supposed to do? But it was one of my favorite moments because he yeah. had that passion, the trademark passion that everybody wants to see. And that moment there, man, I really fell in love with him because he was hot and he was ready for whatever was coming his way, ready to throw with anyone. And yeah, I love that moment just because it oh, boiled wow. over. But yeah, man, those Ottawa Senator, you know, playoff games with Curtis Joseph and that chef's kiss. Because we always lost to them in the regular season. But when it came to the playoffs, the Leafs finally got the job done there. Hopefully that's to come for the Leafs uh, soon enough again. The other guy that wore a Leafs jersey that's omitted from the Hockey Hall of Fame again, and this may be a little bit of politics right here, is Alexander McGilney. Um, I'd love to see Mogo in there. I think a lot of people would, um, given what he's done and his career. Uh, do you think he is still deserving to be in the hockey hall of fame david or is that a name that maybe is on the outside looking in for a while longer 
Well, I, and I really hope that it's not because of the, you know, because of his nationality, because that's mm-hmm. kind of the, the going talk right now. I think so. Um, I, I just, I don't get this one. Look, Pierre Turgeron, the argument was he's he had the highest point total, the guy of all the players not in the Hall of Fame, and that was one of the reasons. And, like, Pierre Turgeron had a good NHL career. No snipe, like, there's no if, ands, or buts about that. But Alexander Gilney not getting in when I, I I thought I made a pretty compelling argument on our last episode. Mike did as well. Um, I think you just read everything. The documentaries that were done on his defection from the Soviet Union to come to the NHL and how that kind of sparked the movement there, like just that. Like, how does the NH, How does the Hockey Hall of Fame not look at that and say, you know what, that's something that should be celebrated and enshrined to the Hall? And let's not forget, the guy was a really good hockey player. Many thought he was the best, one of the best Russian hockey players when he came over in the nineties, right? Like that, that should, that should count for something. And Hey, if we're going to make the Stanley cup argument, he did win a Stanley cup. So they, like he does. And he's, he's part of the triple crown, right? Like there's not many guys that have done that in their, in their hockey careers. So I, I'm I'm perplexed about McGillney a little bit more than I am about Curtis Joseph, just because McGillney had some really good seasons where he was like that that year where he put up 76 goals in 77 games. You're not you're like that's just ludicrous. And people are saying, "Well, Solani did." I said, "Well, yeah, Solani also did in 84 games." I get it. Solani was also a rookie. But I just think McGillney is getting I, – I, he's not getting his due, and I really don't understand what argument the Hockey Hall of Fame could make right now, considering the players that have been let in the last few years. Like, let's be honest with you, the Sedins were also loud in the Hockey Hall of Fame, and they, didn't yeah. really, they, like, they had good careers. They were dominant those years where the Canucks were really contenders. But you can also make the argument that there's similarities between the, the Sedins and with McGilney and he's for some reason not getting in. So I, that's the best one where I think you're going to start hearing the media train a little bit more each and every year. He doesn't go on. And like, this is almost like when Pat Burns wasn't getting into the hockey hall of fame. Yeah. And he passes away, unfortunately. And it wasn't until after he passes away that he gets in. Like I understand. And, and it's funny because Mike Gardner, when he made the announcement, the announcement he he that he's he said, you know, everyone kind of gets in like every there's their time. It'll be their time when they come in. I'm like, like how long do you want guys to wait before they go in? Yeah. At what point does it does it start to make it look a little obvious what what the hockey hall of fame is doing in some ways? Right. Right. Now, let's start to talk about the guys that did make it in. We have like Hendrik Lundqvist, Pierre Turgeon, Mike Vernon, Tom Barrasso. Do, do all these guys deserve to be in? Like, what, what's your thoughts on them? Hendrik Lundqvist a thousand percent deserves yeah. to be in. Like he, I, I think the biggest crime is he never won that cup with, yeah. uh, with the Rangers. I thought he gave them their best chance. Uh, you know, I, he, like you just remember the consistency each and every year. There weren't many goaltenders that were doing what he was doing. Guy was also a seventh round pick. Nobody thinks of you know what he's going to do in his career. He was kind of it took him a little bit of time to get to New York. I get that, but once he was there, like that that Rangers team, you talk about the stability that 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 market had. It, a lot of it had to do with what Henrik Lundqvist was doing. He won an Olympic gold medal. 
Uh, that Sweden team was just stacked. A lot of those guys are now getting into the Hockey Hall of Fame. So I just knew that that was going to happen. Um, once you started to see like Sundin getting in, the Sedins getting in, you kind of start to see how things were progressing there. So yeah, he was one. Okay, I can see that. Tom Barrasso, you know, when you win a Jennings Trophy, Vesna, like those help your candidacy along with winning cups and things like that. So Barrasso, I could see, I could definitely make the argument for why he should get in there. Mike Vernon, I thought that was a tough one just because his numbers weren't that stellar, mm-hmm. right? Yes, he's got the cups. He had the con Smythe. Is like I don't know if looking throughout his entire career, would I say that's a hockey hall of fame career? And maybe that's why Curtis Joseph's not getting in because people are probably looking at the back half of his career as a reason why he shouldn't get in. But Mike Vernon was the question mark for me. Um Ouellette, like I don't see how you don't like that was that was that felt like a no brainer for the women's category. I mean, there should have been more than one woman getting in. Yes, I fully agree with you there. You have two open slots. Like, are we like are we trying to save? Like, are we not? Do we feel like there's not enough and you have to spread them out? I don't get that one. Like, there's gonna be so much. It's gonna be easier when you're seeing the evolution of women's hockey right now. It, don't worry. Once some of these ones eventually start to retire, it's going to be easy to put these these women into the Hockey Hall of Fame. You're you're not going to have enough slots at this point. So that was disappointing that they only used one of the two there. Ken Hitchcock, yeah, that was that was a no brainer there in Lacroix. Like those were guys that did a lot of good things for a lot of markets. Lacroix, if you think of what he did with Quebec and Colorado, Hitchcock, um, I thought he was always a really good coach. You know, he had he had some issues in terms of, you know, things that he has done on the like with his teams and his teams not always like how things end with his teams, I would say. But I thought he was more than deserving. So it's the players. I think I like the three like the goalies is why I think everyone has the most problems with Pierre Turgeon. You may there's a good case, Hmm. but I, I still think there were better options out there. But I feel like. They're also weighing when certain guys get in on how long they've waited to get in. And I don't like that. I don't like having to make players wait for longer than they should. But I guess that's how the Hockey Hall of Fame makes it a special, a special, like a special um, award for someone to receive. Great. There's also, there's one player that I would like to think is an absolute lock, but he obviously isn't, uh, he can't be, he can't make it in just yet because uh, he's still playing. Do you guys know who that player is? Kovacka. Out, out in Europe. Owns oh. a team. Yager? Oh, Yager. Yeah, yeah. Like, when do you guys think this guy's going to quit hockey and finally Never. Make in the Hall of Fame? Oh, man. Uh, can he play until he's 60? Because I think he'll try. <laughs> I think he wants to. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think Yager eventually – I mean, yeah, Yager's going to be a no-doubter when that happens. I think in the what in the within the next couple of years, I think he'll definitely definitely hang him up. Uh, you know, I mean the guy still has a chance to play hockey, plays in the country, plays to play for the team he owns. Let the guy have his fun. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think yeah, he'll be an easy one when that eventually happens. For sure. Yeah, he's a, he's an absolute lock to go probably first ballot. Oh yeah. He'll be the headline of whatever class he eventually does get into. <laughs> yeah. Whenever he, he'll be the same age as uh a lot of the guys that have been waiting a long, long time to get in will be there. <laughs> Finally, yeah. be Yager. Um, I want to switch gears here. Obviously, now we'll talk about some of the Maple Leaf stuff going on. Uh, the big one around Leafs Nation this week was uh, the talk of buyouts. And everybody seems to be okay 
with whether it's trading or buying out Matt Murray. I would rather a trade. I don't want dead cap. Um, want every dollar the Leafs can spend on players to be spent that way. Uh, but if you go the buyout route, I understand it. The first year is not too shabby either. But the other guy that came out of Frank Saravelli and then was written about, talked about, thrown around, and just blew up was TJ Brody. And I'll listen to what you guys said on your show, the Locked on Leafs podcast. By the way, go check it out and subscribe over on YouTube. Um, I can't believe this. I'm listening to it. And I'm like, there is no, no one can give you a concrete real reason other than the fact that, hey, the Leafs will save $5 million in cap space. But you're going to go spend that on another player that's going to probably cost you that much money and a will not know the system B may not pair well with the rest of the guys on your team and C is not TJ freaking Brody. I like what Brody brings. I know Pete does. He's got the Jersey behind him, but I look at TJ Brody and say, show me a guy on the Leafs that can break up two on ones like TJ Brody does. And I know we all, hold our breasts when he lays down on the ice and tries to break up that pass. And some players have figured it out. Most guys haven't. But TJ Brody on the Maple Leafs is a top four defenseman. I think on many teams, he would probably slot in as a 3-4 guy. Can play both sides of your defense. Can be on the penalty kill. Serviceable for 20-plus minutes a night. And you can elevate him if you need to. He's not there to get points either, folks. Just to let you know, he's kind of the defensive defenseman that allows the other guy to go do his thing. Hi, Morgan Riley, or anybody like Timothy Lilligren, whoever you want to play him with, really. But how do you come out and say, yeah, TJ Brody, one of the most serviceable guys in the Leafs last year, that's the guy? Because it's you look and say, okay, well, they don't have very many players up front signed, so you go to the back end, and you're looking at the biggest cap eaters. Well, to me, it doesn't make sense because you're going to go spend that same money on one singular guy yet again. So I'm, it's a head-scratcher to me. Like, the whole idea of how it came out, too, like, you heard Frank Sarvalli talking about it, and I think it was Jason Greger was also talking about it. And it, it I get that, that TJ Brody wasn't his best last year. He was still decent, right? He didn't have, like, a year where I felt like the Leafs, like, he, like, stole money from the Leafs and how he played. No. And, like, you don't think that if a team that's looking for a defenseman wouldn't sign up to potentially trade for TJ Brody mm-hmm. instead of the Leafs having to eat dead cap at a time where every dollar the Leafs... Like, you have to think about how much gymnastics the Leafs have had to do with their salary cap. There is no freaking way the Leafs are going to waste two $2.5 million dollars to buy out TJ Brody and then caught and then have to be like, Oh yes, but we still got to find another guy to replace him. And like, I don't know how much better the Leafs get by getting rid of TJ Brody. Right. Like unless you're going younger and maybe getting a little more of a physical edge, I don't know what the Leafs could do with TJ, like with that potential, you know, slot in the roster that's better than TJ Brody. Right. Like who's out there on the open market that you can say, all right, this guy can easily replace TJ Brody. I don't see it personally. TJ Brody is such an insulator. Anybody you put him with, usually he helps elevate their game. Yeah. Doesn't matter who it is. It can be anybody up or down. If they need a defense pairing, they got him right there. It's TJ Brody. Stick him in, plug and play. He's good to go. 
and he doesn't complain. He does his job. You're right. You go out and you look, okay, who are they going to go get? You're going to go get, maybe we joked about a Carson Susie. Maybe you go get what a Matt Dumba. You know, these guys are on the open market. Okay. How much are you paying for those guys though? And then all of a sudden, all that cap space that you're trying to open up is eaten up. And again, are you getting a guy that fits your system and can play what you need him to play? And with at least with TJ Brody, you know what you have. But you start opening Pandora's box to bringing in other guys, which they're going to do. I know that. But I don't think you subtract TJ Brody to do it. And I think TJ Brody would probably sign an extension to stay with the Leafs at a lesser cap hit because of his age. Yeah, like I, I don't know what the Leafs... I mean, look, and some people are saying, oh, Bradshaw Living didn't bring him back in Calgary. I also think that had a lot to do with the fact that they couldn't really afford him and they wanted to go in a different direction with their with their blue line. But what about the player himself, too? Like, I thought about that. Like, maybe he wanted to go, right, and said, True. no, I'm, I'm good. And, like, maybe Calgary wasn't offering him what Toronto was offering. So he's like, all right, peace out. I'm going to go to Toronto. They're offering me exactly what I want. And, you know, he's a little closer to home. Some guys like that. And, mm-hmm. and we found out that there are certain things that Toronto can offer that Calgary can't offer a lot of these guys, right? And you see, yeah. and you, uh, so with, with Brody, like if we're, like he has one more year left, you can, if, if the if the offer for a trade isn't out there, I think Brad Children can live with having to have him for another season. And you just yeah. find ways to improve your blue line around TJ Brody. Right, like they did a good job to get uh, Jake McCabe around for a reasonable price over the next few years. You still got Morgan Riley, you still got Timothy Lilligren. You still have the options to play around with. Trading TJ Brody creates a problem the Leafs don't need right now. Well, the crazy thing too is you look at what can be done here with the Maple Leafs. They're sitting right now with, I believe, nine point one million dollars in cap space. If they use Muzzin's LTIR, which Believe it or not, I just learned something new that you can be over for the LTIR going into the season with a guy going into LTIR. I didn't know that, but you have to be maxed out to the cap yeah. to get any of the benefits, you shall say, for that. So I learned something new on that. But anyways, with his cap money, he brings you up to something like, I think, $14 million. And then you go again, if you're able to move Matt Murray in a trade, you get yourself somewhere close to $19 million in cap space for the Toronto Maple Leafs if you factor all of that in, which is pretty significant for a team that needs to make some upgrades and add some things. You have to sign Samsonov, and you have to sign a couple of other guys, but when you start looking at the UFAs on this team, you might be able to dabble a bit more or... You may even be able to be a player in the free agent market to bring in one of those other defensemen to insulate TJ Brody and the rest of the crew. So I I think we really just need to pump the brakes on the panic stuff and freaking out and, oh, this has to be done or this is the way it needs to be with a buyout because we do have options and there is cap space to be had here. And I don't think any of us expect Matt Murray to be back with the Toronto Maple Leafs next season. Do you think he's going to be bought out or can we eventually trade him? Like, what do you think is going to happen here, Dave? Well, I mean, they're going to use as much time as possible with the, to avoid, I think they're going to try to avoid the buyout scenario. Mm -hmm. I I really do. I just think 
they see that next year is such an important year on their salary cap with Matthews and Nylander looking there for new go. deals. And then I like, and, and the way that the cap is just the way the cap increases just have been so unpredictable in a lot of ways. Yeah. Everyone's saying it's $1 million, $1 million. And they're saying a yeah, big jump is coming, but you can't guarantee that at this point. Right. So if, if I'm the Leafs, you're trying your best to try to move him. You might have to get a little creative in how you do it. Uh, so, and the other problem is, is how much money he's owed on top of the cap. Like the cap isn't the issue. The issue is how much actual money he is, he's owed. But I, I feel like the Leafs can figure out a way to get that deal done. Like there are teams that will still take him on and look, he might still be able to play. Or if you're a team that isn't fond of having Matt Murray, at least can say there's a good likely chance that he's not going to play and you can just LTIR him. And like, I think that's, uh, that's, that's good. Like everyone's talking about how that's something the Leafs might even have to do themselves. They might have to put him LTIR if they can't move him. If they decide, you know what, we're not going to buy him out. We're just going to put him on LTIR. And that's going to be a tough one because we know people are, Getting a little, uh, a little suspicious of these LTIR moves when you look at what Mark Stone with Vegas, and you feel like if the Leafs try to do that, eh, there's going to be some people that are going to raise their eyebrows at that one. A lot of teams are doing a lot of digging on the Vegas Golden Knights this year and trying to uh, see what the league would do about it. And the league fully backed Vegas, obviously, with the Stone situation, saying this is the way it is. No pun intended on the backward either, uh, but. Um, yeah, I mean, we looked at the Yoffrey Lupo situation a couple of years ago with Lou Lamorello and, you know, when he went over to Robodaw Island, so to speak, and he came out and said, no, I'm fine, and he quickly deleted that and had to, you know, had a retraction out there and, and say, you know, he didn't mean it and stuff like that. So with Matt Murray, where he was cleared and healthy for the playoffs, a lot of people are saying, well, maybe he comes into camp and he's not healthy, but it's going to be pretty hard to tell a guy – who probably wants to play that, Hey, you're not playing this year. Enjoy your money. We'll, we'll see you when you're a UFA you can go sign somewhere else. I don't know if that's really going to fly with him either. So I, I think the trade and adding a sweetener to it might be the way to go. Yeah. And yeah, you also think like if Matt Murray feel like he can continue his career, worst thing you can do is have a whole year of LTIR. Then you're trying to get yourself another job. Yeah. There might be one or two teams. that will take a flyer, but it's it's so much tougher when you have that injury question mark, and now it just it may it's a headache that <laughs> right now Caldu is probably saying, well, I don't have to deal with that one anymore, uh, and I'm sure a lot of fans are probably not too happy that, and that's why everyone's saying, ah, you know what, they should be Kyle Kyle Dubas. It was his mess. He should be the one to take it back. <laughs> you send him over to Pittsburgh. Yeah. So I, it's going to be interesting to see how they that's that. Everyone's talking about Austin Matthews and, you know, William Nylander and things like that. I feel like the Matt Murray situation is the one that's going to have the most eyes on it in the next week when you look at the draft. Because if there is a trade involving Matt Murray, you have to think it's going to happen at the draft because there's no way this Leafs team is going to go into free agency without some idea of what the future of Matt Murray looks like, whether it's with the Leafs or it's on another team or on LTIR. That's it right there. But hopefully we get rid of him. Um, I know I'd rather see Samson Alvin Wool, but uh, let's swing things over to William Nylander because he's got a contract coming out. Um, 
what kind of term, what kind of contracts are we looking at? Like, does he make nine something or does he just make under, under nine? I feel like eight, eight, seven, five would be something good. What do you think, David? I, I think uh, when, when you're looking at the Nylander contract, the term is going to be the most important part. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, I think he, you're going to want that six to eight year commitment from him. You know, if he wants to get a, if he wants to get a raise and he's deserving of a raise, I just can't see he's not, to me, he's not a $9 million player. He might be if he got to the open market because the team is willing to pay that. But to me, he's in that eight and a half range for me personally, just because, you know, there, there are a lot of question marks still about his play at times. He, you know, we can see the potential he has, but it doesn't always come out, right? Yeah. Defensively, he's made strides, but he's still got a lot of work to do in that area. And I don't know if, like, at this point of his career, how much he's going to change in that department, too. So you got to be realistic with him. You got to tell him, like, look, you know, this is what you've done. We understand that you, you know, Everyone's uh, feels like your contract is pretty much you've exceeded the value of your last contract, mm-hmm. but can you exceed the value of your next contract too? Like if we give you a raise, do we, do you feel like you can exceed that value even more? I don't know if he can, right? You give him eight and a half mate. I don't know if, if you get signed to eight and a half, he signs and he's like, ah, I feel like I got shortchanged. We got to go out and just show that you're going to keep that you also were deserving of more than that. Right? Like, uh, if he feels like he's in like the nine and a half to ten, you got to trade him. In my opinion, you just can't. Mm-hmm. At some point, you've got to say to yourself, "We we are expecting more." If you're going to want more money, and if he's asking for it, and if he's asking for what amount you're just not comfortable doing, you got to have that hard conversation, and you've got to decide. You know what? He's a good player. But you also have to be reasonable about your own internal cap of how much you can spend on them, too. Yeah, the hard line for me would be probably 8.9. And that would be the hard line for me. Nothing over 9, not even close. And I start using guys like Esper Bratt, who had a contract comparable or points comparable to him. Um, And then you look over at Pasternak and say, look at this guy and what he's able to do and the number he is at. You're not anywhere near that type of player nor do you do the physical aspect or the grittiness kind of the past that can bring as well. So I say no to Nylander. Anything over 8.9, I'm not happy. I love I, eight, eight and a half for 40 goals if that's what he's putting up every year. You know, goal scoring is one of the harder things to do. Yes, and that eight and a half is to say, hey, we understand what you can do offensively, but there's a lot of things that you leave on the table, whether it's playing on the wall, going in the corners, physicality, all that different stuff. Um, that's not there for William Nylander. So 8-9 for me would be the hard line. And I, I think the Leafs will get it done. I think longer term, we'll lock him up as well. Um, another guy I want to ask you about, obviously, is Austin Matthews. It seems like sunshine and rainbows lately about what's going to be going on here. The last time we talked was the RBC Open stuff where he kind of snubbed them and didn't go. And, you know, we were all wondering, uh-oh, is there trouble in Leafland here? You know, where... He didn't show up for an event and all that stuff, but it seems like everything's good. They had a dinner. They laid out the plans. They didn't really talk contract parameters, but apparently there may be a willingness more so to maybe get an eight-year deal done, which is kind of not what any of us thought, but you start looking at all these stars that are signing these kind of deals. 
maybe Matthews puts pen to paper on a six to seven year deal, something like that. What is your feeling here with Matthews? Has the temperature kind of changed for the better for the Maple Leafs? Well, when you hear that they're really pushing for that eight year term, I think it's just a realization from the least part that, you know what? Austin Matthews probably would love to be a trend center, but the Leafs also, you know, they, they, they made it easy on his last contract mm-hmm. and, you know, they, they haven't accomplished what they want to accomplish. And they got to ask Austin Matthews, what's more important staying in Toronto or being a trend center on your next contract. There can be a little bit on the other that like you can say, we're going to make you the, we'll make you the highest paid player, obviously before Connor McDavid's next deal comes up. Yep. But, we have to under, like. Do you want Mitch Martin around? Do you want William Nylander to stick around? Do you want us to improve the players around you? Right. That that's a conversation that has to happen. Like Matthew Kachuk signed for nine and a half million dollars in yep. his last deal. So yes, Austin Matthews deserves more than that. But how much more is like enough? Right. Nathan McKinnon said in the new bar. He, in my opinion, set the new bar. How much more can you expect Austin Matthews get paid than Nathan McKinnon? Right? Like, yeah, shred more is what I'd say, not too much. No, right? And so like, you got to be realistic here. And look, if if the if the Matthews camp is saying, well, you want us for eight years, that means you're getting our eight best years. We want you to pay premium for that. Sure. Okay. Like, there's a you're not going to shortchange Austin yeah. Matthews in that regard. But at the same time, you're not going to go into that. 14 million dollar range like i heard i heard a little bit there like no that's not happening and like if that number is closer to 13 which is what many are suggesting it's got to come with eight years in my opinion if he wants that short term to kind of reset himself i'm sorry then you're taking less than you're we're not giving you that much of a pay increase because then you know if you're going to reset again it's how much how much can you realistically expect to reset on your deal after that if that's the plan his plan of action yeah i mean i i see that a lot like i said to you before you know this may be the new operandum for some superstars to sign these short-term deals out of the nba nfl and the nba the mlb right to, to make more in your 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 window of earnings and that's what they do they open it further by doing that signing those shorter deals but i agree with you the Maple Leafs are going to be backed into a corner. They're going to say this is option A or option B. And you can't have it both ways, so figure it out. If you want to stick with us for eight years, we'll pay the premium for your eight years, yes. But if you're coming at us with a shorter-term deal, slight increase, but nothing crazy. You won't be the highest-paid player in the league. And, you know, show us your loyalty, basically, and we'll show you the money. It's basically what the Leafs are probably saying. The easy way to put it. This is where the structure of contracts in the NHL are so dumb. Unlike almost every other sport where a player and a team have an option on a mm-hmm. contract. You know, Austin Matthews, we're going to give you an eight-year deal. But maybe after year three or four, you may want to option or we may want to option out of that contract and try to do this again. But at least there's that framework that we have eight years so, so you know that, okay, we can rework this after a few years. Like, the NH, like the NH, like there's a lack of creativity. Like, I don't know if it's they're trying to save their general managers from, you know, the fact that they can't handle these sort of contracts. I don't know if it works for baseball, if it works for, if it works for MLB, NBA, and in some cases the NFL, 
In the NFL, it's even better because you can reduce a cap hit by if you do if you you can defer salary and things like that. They can do so many creative things to make things work, and it allows for so much player movement and excitement in the off season. I the NHL really doesn't do the stars any favors because it almost feels like oh you have to sign for eight years, you have to sign for eight years, but then. And the other thing is like, well, you can sign for a long-term deal, but we're also going to give you a chance to opt out and see if maybe, you know what, our salary cap is increased. You're the reason why, in a lot of ways, the salary cap increases, so we'll give you another yeah. chance to add more money. But also, in most ways, most cases, those players stay with the teams because they want to be there. So I, I, I feel like that's something the NHL – that should have been something discussed so long ago to have those options, right? And it, like, I just don't understand why the league doesn't want to do those sort of things to help teams, players, and in a lot of ways themselves mm-hmm. with the way these contracts are done. No, I fully agree. So the Leafs are jumping in for an assistant coach on the bench. And I want to know, why isn't anybody other than Mitch Love? Because I think that's just a marriage that's waiting to happen. I'm sure the Leafs will do their due diligence, talk to other people. But I think Mitch Love is going to be the guy with Sheldon Keefe. And it may be just the uh, the heir apparent when Sheldon Keefe may get fired. At least Bradshaw Living has his guy that he's kind of brought along, you know, brought through the ranks, watched progress, win the AHL coach of the year two times in a row. To me, that just makes the most sense. I'm wondering if I'm out to lunch on that or – that's probably the guy they're going to go with. Well, the only way that I feel like that might not happen is if he decides I'm going to stay in Calgary and take an assistant job on the on the Flames bench. But like, mm-hmm. like the, you can't ignore the history with Bradshaw Living, right? And what that what he's accomplished there. And if you're Bradshaw Living and you hire Mitch Love, you can give him that look having and say you'd probably be the next guy in line if Sheldon if we decide to move away from Sheldon Keith. That's why a lot of assistants take certain jobs in some ways. They kind of know what's what the deal is without even saying it themselves. Um, now, if they do hire Mitch Love, you know for a fact that conversation is going to happen almost yeah. right away. When is like just like it was when Sheldon Keith was brought in with uh, the Marlies, he was right there behind Mac Babcock. Ah, uh, when is Kyle Dubas going to pull the trigger and bring in Sheldon Keith? It's unavoidable, but that's the business. You're not getting the job done. There's somebody else that that uh, you know your team feels like can get the job done. So yeah, Mitch Love makes sense. I just wonder if they're they're looking just want to look at other assistants. Like, look, Sheldon Keith is going to have his input too. He might say, "I don't like certain things that Mitch Love does." Uh, it depends on how much the front office staff is going to take Sheldon Keith's input on this next hire too. That's very true. Well, we'll look forward to that one. All right, so we have a new thing going on here. It's the five burning questions. Just a quick answer. Doesn't need to be long-winded. One word if you want to. We'll blaze through them. Uh, first one right here. Connor Brown, back with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Would you? Yes, I would. You Coming off a knee injury, he loves Toronto. I know, I know a lot of people who know Connor Brown, and he loves being in Toronto. So would not say no to that one. Okay. Biggest snub for the Hockey Hall of Fame? McGillney, for sure. Agreed. All right, Pierre-Luc Dubois, landing spot. Ooh. I'm going to go with the LA Kings. 
I thought I think I think they can blow away if they if they offer a deal that I've been hearing like, that we've kind of been hearing around what they can offer in terms of young assets to really help Winnipeg out. I I, I think if 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 that's the deal, I think Winnipeg will definitely ship them off to LA, and I think that could be a, that could be a match made in heaven for LA and Dubois. Interesting. I like it. Um, okay, so who for the draft? Who do you think the Leafs take at twenty eight? Oh. Yeah, it really depends on what the Leafs are looking to do here. And look, it also depends if the Leafs have that pick as well, yeah. right? Sure. We'll presume that they do. <laughs> Ooh. Um, a lot of people are are kind of it's it's really tough because there's in there's not a lot of clarity about where which guys will fall where, right? And so I'm trying to remember the play. I took uh, Fisker Molgard was the guy that I. I I put in that slot. He's a center. He's a de- de- actually from Denmark, but plays in the SHL. Not a terrible player. Got really good skating, good work ethic. Want to you know get in the dirty areas, but he's his offensive game hasn't fully come along. So some are wondering if that's going to reduce his his potential. Another name I've heard is Oliver Bonk, the defenseman out of the uh, London Knights. We know that. The Leafs are trying to beef up their blue line a little bit, so it wouldn't surprise me if they decide to do that. I think they're going to get who, if you find a guy with a little bit of size and a little bit of. I think this is where you're going to start to see the shift a little bit in the in the in looking where the Leafs go. I think you're going to see someone with a little more bite, a little more size. So um, those are kind of the areas I'm looking at there. Um, but we're actually going to try to get some draft experts on our podcast to get a little better idea as well. Um, so like, that's kind of, I, I, like if, if I had to say today, I put Fisker Mulgard as my guy, but, uh, the more I think about where the Leafs are going, I don't know if that's the fifth they're going to want to go with. All right. Well, I'll say, um, one name that we've been told by a couple of draft experts we've had on in the past week was Gavin Brindley. Uh, okay. I've heard his name too. So it, it's, it's all, it's so tough when you're getting to that range of like the 20, because there's guys who teams will reach. Right, yeah. who are like second rounders, but you know what? Like they could fall, they can move up into that round, or you know, in a lot of ways, there's guys that uh, that teams feel like, all right, this is someone that should have been picked a lot earlier, and he's felt fallen to us, so we're gonna go and grab him. So, yeah, I, I feel like for, like a like a center defenseman is where the Leafs are gonna go in this draft. All right, and the last one here, one Leafs UFA that stays. That stays. Well, for the longest time, I thought I was going to be Luke Shen. It looks like that pipe dream might be ending, although it's still tough to gauge right now. That stays. I'm going to go with David Camp. Ooh, okay. I'm going to go with David Camp. Just, it just I like it. Just like I know, a CJ on uh, on his on TSN radio said that it's likely that Achari O'Reilly and some of the other guys likely don't come back. I think it's maybe a little truly too. Maybe that's just, you know, agents saying we haven't had a lot of talk with the Leafs and that's kind of where the ideology is coming from. But I feel like David Camp, you know, he's a guy that if you let go, you have to really hope that you can find someone to replace him. And um, so like he's someone that I feel like could be back. But I would, I mean, Noel Charlie would be the one I'd want back. Yes. I think we'd all want Noel Cherry. And uh, to touch on your David Camp, pick there the Pontus Holmberg train is running wild too that he's gonna be the guy to replace him 
The issue that I have with Pontus Holmberg, and I said it many times throughout the year on our show, the face-off percentage with Pontus Holmberg, especially if he's going to be a penalty killer and in your bottom six expected to take those defensive draws, needs to be a lot higher. So unless he's going to the Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, John Tavares school of face-offs this summer and really up in that game, He's. I don't think he's ready for that primetime slot of what David Camp brought last year. And some people may be like, whoa, 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 whoa. There is a reason why they put him out there on three-on-three overtime to get possession of the puck and then put the big boys out because he was very good at doing those things. Now, I will say Manny Malholcher, who they do have on the coaching staff, knows a thing or two about winning face-offs. Yeah, it's true, just, true. How much can you can uh, players can improve in the faceoff dot, but there's players who just have that instinct already that it's so hard to teach. David Camp is one of those guys, and he's proven that he's not no slouch offensively. Like he's got some offensive game to him. Like I think that like when you look at that fourth line in the playoffs of him, and then you can you can put him with anyone. Like La- him and Lafferty were a pretty good combo because they, yep. they play with pace. They move the puck pretty nicely. You pair them with you pair that those three with somebody, with someone. That's a pretty good. Even with a Pontus Holmberg on the on the wing, I think that's a pretty good fourth line. Like why are you like give yourself a little more flexibility where you don't have you don't, can never have too many centers in your lineup and guys that can kind of move and jump around too. No, you're 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 100 right. And I know guys that have taken the entire summer and worked every single day at some point of the day on their face-offs. I mean, one guy was Austin Matthews, actually. He took a whole summer and studied Sidney Crosby's draws. And then he came back that next season and was just dynamite on the dot. So it can be done. I mean, Austin Matthews, different breed, highly skilled athlete. Obviously, no Pontus Holmberg. Uh, But we'll see. But, David, I want to thank you very much. You always take time to jump on. This is week two of having you on. Really appreciate it. So, again, everyone – Make sure you check out Locked On Leafs there every single day talking about the Maple Leafs. Subscribe to them over on YouTube. The guys are great. And look, he's over here talking to us too about the Leafs yet again. So, David, thank you very much for jumping on, man. Oh, thank you guys for the invite. I will always say yes if I'm available. So, oh, yeah, I, uh, I, we are to make this work. No worries. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you know what this is. It's Offside Hockey Talk, where the Maple Leafs and hockey come to talk. 